You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. How are we doing this evening? Good? Excited? This is the butler's first time at Seaside Lagoon. And I have to say it is beautiful. I don't know what the urine content is in the water, but I'm going to say it is beautiful. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I'm young, you know. In any case, we do have a lesson today, but before I get into that, a couple things. First things first, uh, Brian and Dessa back. Amen for that, right? I can tell you personally, Brian has helped me on many occasions uh, in terms of his mentorship, whether it's preaching, uh, just, you know, ministry work, how to understand the South Bay itself. Uh, he's been an integral part of that. So, Brian, I want to thank you for that. Uh, we, we used to, we, before sabbatical, we meet about every other week, so it's been a great time getting to know Brian, and I definitely appreciate his help. Uh, we did have a beach day yesterday at Rat Beach. Who went to that one? Anybody? Good times, yes. I do want to say a big thank you to Ryan Winkler, who went out there, what was it, like 8.30, 9 in the morning, getting that volleyball net set up, reserving it. It's a lot of fun. I had some video from that one. I think I have Ryan diving and missing the ball, but, you know. It was, it was all uh, Rachel's serve. Rachel's serve was pretty amazing that, that day. So that being said, I think it's time for us to pray, amen? amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. This opportunity to be together, God, is such a blessing to worship here, Father. To be at Seaside Lagoon, God, to be a family, to have a, share a meal together, to worship out in the, the open, unabated by any governing authority, whatever. It is, it's actually encouraged, God. We thank you that we have this freedom. We pray, God, that you work powerfully. I pray that we're already encouraged. I pray that you're encouraged, God, by our worship of you. Help our hearts, God, to be attentive to your word, uh, just to be focused. And allow us to have a great fellowship afterwards as well, God, that you are pleased, that our hearts are connected to you and to one another during this time, Father. We love you so much. We praise in Jesus' most holy, perfect name. The church said, amen. amen. All right. Well, I do have a little bit of a charge that I'm excited about today. Uh, you know, a couple things, but one of which I always consider, it's interesting, right? You have this beautiful backdrop to preach, right? right. And a lot of times you would, you would see in this kind of this Israelite rabbinical teaching methodology, oftentimes they'd use, you know, some kind of tangible, physical uh, example in nature to make a spiritual point. You know, you could look at God in a certain way because of this thing right here, right? You see even Jesus' parables. A lot of times he references things based on agriculture, Things based off farming, so that they could go from this physical example to a spiritual one, right? Jesus does a great one he does in Matthew 16. We're going to turn there right now. Phones or Bibles, whatever works. In Matthew 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. You see this interaction with Jesus and his disciples, right? He's having this kind of this rabbinical moment where he's using this, this great example of what you could see to make a spiritual point. He says in verse 13, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, 
but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, when I first, I've read this multiple times, right? A couple things that stand out to me, one of which is this idea or this notion that they're in Caesarea Philippi, right? So why is that important? Because that is a place, let's say, where most Jewish people would not go. They would not tread there for very good reason. If you went there, one of the things that you would see is the place that was known as the Gates of Hades. So when I first read this scripture, I always thought about just the church and how, you know, the church won't, it will not be overcome by the Gates of Hades. That the church will last. It will continue on for generation after generation until kingdom come. And the church said, Amen. But there's also a very physical, tangible element that in Caesarea Philippi, this, they were known in the Greco-Roman world as a, a place of, of, you know, in our, in our terms, idol worship. There was multiple temples there. There was a physical spot at the base of a mountain. It was like a cave where the tigers used to go through the river. And it was called the Gates of Hades. And it was so bad to the extent in terms of this kind of idol worship that they would actually drop their kids into that cave and let them drown. That was one aspect of the idol worship there. So when Jesus is talking about the gates of Hades, his disciples, his 12 disciples, they have this physical, tangible example to see exactly what Jesus is talking about right in front of them. For us, we can take a look, and you get to see beauty. We're here at Seaside Lagoon. Over there, you can look. I mean, you can see PV down the distance, right? I mean, is this not gorgeous? There's a Celtic idea and thought of, of the thin places, right? I think C.S. Lewis has kind of mentioned referencing it. These places where heaven and earth kind of touch. That there's like a thin membrane where, if let's say you're not close to God, but then you go to a thin place. And in that thin place, you can go from not feeling connected, feeling distant, feeling just emotionally apart from God, to all of a sudden you go there and you feel close. You feel connected. You feel like, Wow. I can commune with God here at this place. There's, a, there's an interesting part to that, right? Because we live in an interconnected world where, let's say, Seaside Lagoon might lose its luster over time. Like, I've been here a million times. Or, hey, Red, I live in the South Bay. I live in Southern California. Is it not gorgeous here? Can we get used to the beauty that is in Southern California? Yes, we can, right? There's a danger in that, though, right? Because Romans, Romans 1 talks about places like this, talks about nature, and it says that God, through nature, he's making an argument. He's letting himself be known, his invisible qualities in Romans 1, his divine nature, and his eternal power. So when we come to places and we see the winds or the water and the waves and the horizon and the sky and all this beauty that God's created, it's with the intention to bring us back to him to have a sense of awe sense of wonderment over time though familiarity brings contempt doesn't it and we become accustomed to certain things we become accustomed to examples in nature or examples in our lives and if we're not careful we can drift i remember being a, a child going to the beach with my parents right and you know, you have your little camp set up, you have your towel and your umbrella and also, you know, a little jazz, a cooler for, I think we had like ham and cheese sandwiches or something that we ate, right? And I remember going from our camp and beelining it directly to the water. 
to go play with my cousins and friends and this, that, and the other, right? And then after like 45 minutes coming back from shore, okay, now I'm just going to beeline it back to the camp. But what would you find after being in the water for an extended period of time? You drift, right? So my beeline became, okay, wait, who the heck is this family in front of me? <laughs> nah, I don't know them. And then look off the distance, like, you know, north or south on the shore, like 50 yards away. Oh, there's a little, I think that's my mom. Okay, let me go walk over there and see what happens. This is a different time, right? This is when people kind of roam free. Hey, go get lost, kid. I'll see you in four to five hours, right? Hey, now some latchkey, free range, you know, some of you guys kind of grew up on that, right? That's what we did. We just got lost in the beach, and then I'll, I'll see you when I see you. We can drift just like that. Having a good time. I mean, it's summer, right? What do you do in summer? You have fun. You go on vacations, right? Little, little R&R, little rest and relaxation, right? We have a good time, and we live in Southern California. God's beautiful. But if we're not careful, we can drift. There's an extreme version of that, right? And it's called the longest river in Egypt, denial. Right? You... you you can go from a little bit of drift, right? I know, but there you go. That was my joke for the day. You're welcome. Um, we can go from that to this place where we stop attributing all these miraculous signs and wonders that we see to God. And all we see is the humanistic version of things. All we see is a simple cause and effect. We stop giving glory to the creator of the universe. And it can start with things as small as just appreciating nature. You know, I appreciate Stephen Ricci's post about things in his backyard. He'll mention things about a squirrel or about, a, you know, it could be a, a anything, really. But there's, there's an amazement. Like, he, he had, there's a genuine wonder, right? And sometimes I could be like, oh, you know, I don't know why he's doing that. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. To him, he's, he like, it, it makes him think about God. He's inspired by that, right? When we get close to God, we can see God in so many different ways, right? And, and it's easy to get inspired. It's easy to get connected. But if we're not careful, we go from drifting to a place where we're dull. We don't see God. We don't feel God. We don't experience God. All we see is people and drama and situations and a bunch of things that we don't like. You know, I would have prayers uh, a lot of times for my family, right? And uh, my mom, you know, bless her soul, she became a disciple about 11 years ago, which is pretty awesome. Started following Jesus, fell in love with God, got baptized to God be the glory, right? Before that, however, I'm making these prayers for my family like all the time. In the spirit of Job 33, if anybody have read Job 33, about 13 through 18 is the verses. It says this argument, you know what, that God does Speak. He speaks in a lot of different ways, right? We mention nature, but in this specific passage, it mentions that God speaks through dreams. And that he'll give people visions or he'll give them warnings to, to wake up their spirit, to, in some cases even to terrify them, to save their soul from the pit. My mom had a dream one time. It's an interesting one. This is, again, away from drifting into kind of more of the dullness and hardness of our heart. You guys want to hear this dream? You ready? Yeah. Oh, I guess so, right? I got the mic, so you don't have a choice. <laughs> um, very interesting dream. Again, I'm making these prayers for years, right? She says, you know, Rhett, and we're, it's funny because we're going to go to church, right? So oh, before we go to church, let's have, uh, let's have breakfast. 
which I didn't want to do because I thought it was early. I'm like, man, I just happened I made it to church, right? But she's like, let's have breakfast and we'll go. She, she tells me this dream she has while we're sitting down at the table. She's like, Red, I was, I was driving and, you know, it was really foggy, kind of misty. It was, it was like a, a you know, cliffside, right? Windy road, hard to see, visibility. And you kind of get an idea this was going. She had a couple friends in the car as well that were driving with it. She knew from, um, you know, like high school age, right? And in her dream, this car flies off the cliff, misses a turn, can't see anything, goes down a couple hundred feet, and then crashes. For whatever reason, you know, because it's a dream, right, she wakes up. Not in the dream, but she gets up out of the car. And she's looking around, doesn't see any of her friends. But she's like, okay, you know what? I guess I'll just climb up out the mountain, you know, just little by little, just kind of rock climb it and uh, go to where we go. She gets to this really high point. She notices the higher she goes in the stream, the more beautiful it is. She's like, wow, I can, it's like blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven. And she gets to the very top of this, you know, mountain. And she's like, wow, that, that looks like Colonel Sanders dressed in all white and shiny. And if you don't know who Colonel Sanders is, you know, 80s and 90s, they dominated the chicken industry, right? Before churches came along and raising canes and all of those ones. Popeyes, you know. There's a time where KFC was number one. Colonel Sanders is at the top, and he's shining and radiant. She's like, wow. And what, you know, that's who she described it as. But she's like, wow, it's so beautiful here. Is this heaven? And he goes, no, it's hell. And then she wakes up. That was her dream. She was like, Rhett, what do you think that means? Like, well, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not from the book of Daniel, and I can't interpret dreams, but I will say that it's probably related to the longest river in Egypt, which is denial. You might be thinking everything's fine, and you're doing everything right, and you and God are great, but perhaps, just based on this dream, perhaps something is grossly wrong, right? Why do I share that story? Because I think it begins with failing to see God in the little things. Just being here. Seeing, how many times have you been to Seaside Lagoon if you've been in South Bay? God, I don't even know. This is like my 27th one. This is my 10th one. You know what I mean? The familiar, the familiar, let's get better. The familiar, I'll get it right. Familiarity that breeds contempt. Becoming so used to being around church and being around the Bible, and being around beautiful aspects of what this is, that we can lose sight of the amazing God that we serve. Amen. There's a scripture in, in, in uh, Ecclesiastes and mentions the idea that God makes everything beautiful in its time. This is a beautiful place. God is working in our hearts through his invisible qualities that he displayed in nature, right? His eternal power, right? His, his divine strength. He's using those same qualities that made nature beautiful for us to also be beautiful in our own time, in our own way. The question I want to leave you with before Mike Velasquez comes up and shares his testimony, which I'm very excited about, go Alive Singles Ministry. Uh That's okay. We appreciate the last one at the end, Rich. Is I want you to think about what God is doing in your life right now? What beauty is God bringing out in your life 
today. Understanding that beauty can be a little challenging, right? There's a bit of a growing pain. There's a bit of a massaging. In some cases, God goes like this, and he grounds it up so he can make it more malleable. But what is God doing through his invisible qualities that you can see in nature in your life to bring out beauty in you right now? That being said, we're going to hear a story about that beauty and what God did in someone's life to bring him to this point to be able to share his testimony. Without further ado, I give you my Velasquez. Good evening. As you know, my name is Mike Velasquez, and I'm part of the awesome singles ministry here in South Bay. And I have the opportunity to share my testimony with you guys. So let's dive right in. I was born homeless. I was born in East L.A. I went to Catholic school out there, and that's when I first learned about God. I did my first Holy Communion before my third grade. Uh, after my dad saved enough money uh, to buy a house, we moved out to Riverside. And uh, I went to public school out there. Um, in the sixth grade, I went to my first ditching party. And uh, that's where I first uh, um, was found drugs. I saw a group of my friends smoking weed on the side of the house. And I went over there. I don't remember trying it or not. I think I did. But that was the first time I ever experienced drugs in my life. Um, time went on in middle school. I experimented with drinking. You know, we stole cigarettes. We, you know, we smoked weed here and there. But by the time I went to high school, I was in the big leagues. I had a group of friends. Uh, we became a party crew. Uh, we lived a life of uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, we did a lot of drugs. Um, I struggled a lot in high school because I was molested when I was a kid, and nobody knew about it. So I kept it a secret. I had a lot of self-hate. I had a lot of pride, anger because of what happened. And I was depressed, and I was taking drugs. And so... Um, I didn't like that life. You know, sometimes we got shot at and we were dodging bullets and it was just basically what my dad didn't want for me. We moved out to Riverside because my dad didn't want me to live that life of uh, gangs living in East LA and drugs. And um, before I graduated or sometime after, I don't remember, um, I prayed to God. I was like, God, you know, I want my life to change. I, I don't like the life I'm living. I'm depressed and, you know, I'm suffering from my trauma. Uh, I'm hurting, and, uh, and I was like, God, please change my life. And <clears throat> I got this. <laughs> I got this. So um, God sent a group of disciples really quick. He answered my prayer really quick. You know, I got invited out to church. I was cold contact. I was at work, and uh, I went to church, and uh, the brothers there, they're like, hey, you want to study the Bible? I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. This is what I wanted. This is what I'm praying for, you know. I want a life change, and this is it. So I studied the Bible. I became a disciple. I was in my 20s. I was struggling with my purity. I was missing church because I worked graveyard. And, um, and then my dad dies. It was really hard. You got it, Mike. Come on, Mike. You got it. Amen, guys. Thanks. So um, it was tough for me because I had to make the decision to pull the plug on my father. And I was, you know, a kid. I didn't, you know, know I went to the church for help. And they 
they gave me great advice. They were like, what does your dad want? And he was like, you know, that's what he wanted. He was like, I don't want nobody to be a hospital dweller. So I made a decision to pull the plug. And after that, I was just really angry at God. I was like, how could you, you know? I give you my life. I give you three years. And you take my dad. Why? You know? I was like, how could you? I was so mad at God. So I left the church. I came to church on Sunday. And I saw a group of brothers. And I was like, don't call me. I'm done. I'm out of here. Don't call me. I don't want it. So I left the church. I filled my life up with um, drinking, friends, girlfriends, just to fill the, the void in my life, the pain, the loss, the suffering, the trauma. And uh, I lived like that for years. And then one of my ex-girlfriends introduces me to Adderall. I start taking Adderall, and, and man, I feel good. It gives me euphoria. You know, I'm doing good at work. I'm doing good at home. Life is great. You know, I'm not feeling any of my pain. And then uh, a girl enters my life. Um, her boyfriend kicked her out. He was bipolar. He kicked her out of the house, took everything away from her, and she was homeless. And, and then she was like, you know, I told her, you can stay with me. I'll take care of you. You know, you can live here rent-free. Just get on your feet, you know. And uh, I took care of her. I took her to court because she was battling with her boyfriend. And uh, I took her to work, and uh, I took care of her. And then over time, I was like, you know what? I really like you, you know. And she was like, I still love my baby daddy, you know, I don't like you, and I was, I just felt worthless after that. After that, I was just like, man, you know, now I'm depressed, lonely, feeling worthless, suffering trauma from my childhood, I'm doing drugs, I'm drinking. She leaves, you know, and I, and I pray to God, I was like, you know what, God, you know, I just want her to have a good life, you know, I don't care what you do to me, I trade places with her, you can send me to hell, you can send her to heaven, just as long as she has a good life, you know, and, uh, my life started spiraling out of control. I started taking six to eight pills of Adderall a day. I was going, I was on my motorcycle, racing from bar to bar, doing 200 miles an hour down Rosecrans, and just drinking. And uh, I started hearing the spirit, like telling me, you know what, you're going down. You're not gonna make it, you're going down. You know, and I was just like wrestling with that. And, I was doing everything I possibly can to, like, fight back. You know, I was, like, praying and reading. You know, it would be, like, 4 a.m., just struggling. Begging God to forgive me. Asking him to take it back. You know? I'm tattooing my body up with crosses and scripture, telling God I love him. You know, don't condemn me. I, don't please forgive me. But the Spirit is telling me, like, you're going down, man. You know, you're going down. You're not going to make it. So I'm taking a hot knife. I'm just trying to scrape off my tattoos because the spirit is saying, like, I can see into your soul, you know, with your tattoos. And I'm just out of control. You know what I mean? Out of control. And then uh, my friend, he tries to help me out. He's like, you know, let's go to a baby shower. I'm like, all right, let's, let's go. So I go to this baby shower. I'm like, I'm going to be cool. I'm not going to do drugs. I'm just going to, you know, hang out, blend in. I put some Adderall in my pocket. I start drinking. And uh, so I pop an Adderall. And uh, I'm just trying to blend in. And some, guy, some guys come into the baby shower and, you know, a group of them. And they pour a mountain of co co cocaine in his hand. And he's just passing around the party like, anybody wants some? 
And by the time it comes to me, I'm just like, sure. And I just throw my face in it. Just take a hit, big hit. Sometime later, I'm in the bathroom and I'm seizuring. I'm overdosing. And I'm shaking. And the only thing I can remember is like, this is it. I'm going to die. I don't know anybody here. I'm in a stranger's house. I'm going to die. This is it. My body rejects everything in my system. And then I walk outside the bathroom, and I, I didn't even know, but I have like cocaine on my face, and I'm like a walking zombie. I believe I'm speaking Vietnamese. I believe I'm speaking Vietnamese, and I'm just tripping out. So I live my life like that for months. And then I'm like thinking I'm demon-possessed by these drugs and alcohol. I'm like, I have these demons. They're taking over my life. You know, they're controlling me. And I need an exorcism. I need, a, I need something, you know. So I'm looking on online Catholic churches, and I'm seriously thinking about an exorcism because I feel like controlled by these demons telling me I'm condemned, that I'm going down. You know, I can't stop drinking. I can't stop doing drugs. And uh, it hits me, you know, disciples. So I look up at church in South Bay, and I come out here, and I see Dustin Pigman on stage, and... Um, I'm like, he looks approachable, you know, I'm going to talk to him. I go up to him, I'm like, hey, bro, you know, I used to be a disciple. I'm struggling with Adderall and drugs, drinking, and, you know, I need God, man. I feel condemned, like, not going to be saved, you know. He's like, you need to be restored. So, hey, man, let's do it, you know. He calls up Matt Dickens. You know, I studied the Bible with uh, Dustin and Matt. He challenged me to be pure and sober, and I am. Pure, six months go by, you know, and I get restored. I get baptized. I'm a disciple. I'm restored. But I still struggled. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I still struggle with my self-condemnation. I don't know how to say Self-condemnation. I still struggle with it. You know, something keeps telling me, you know, you're going down, man. You're not going to make it. You know, you're not going to make it. And um, three years go by. I don't know what's up with three years, but always, always something happens in three years. <laughs> But uh, three years go by, and God gives me um, a vision. You know, he used Ryan Winkler in his uh, testimony. You know, um, Dan Riley, Dan Riley also helped me out. You know, me struggling with my um, self condemnation. My girlfriend Sonia, and um, he gave me a vision. You know, and it goes like this: Satan is the prosecutor. And I am on the defense, and God is the judge. And Satan is saying, you know what, this guy right here, he's a sinner. You know, he's done drugs. He's an alcoholic. You know, by the laws in Deuteronomy, this guy should be stoned to death. You know, purged the evil. You know, he should be stoned to death. He's a drunkard. He's an adulterer. You know, you know what the Bible says about adultery. He's stoned to death. He should be condemned. You know, this guy is a sinner. He's probably broken every single sin in the Bible, God. And then top it all off, he forfeits his soul for another girl. His soul should be mine. You know, God says, you're right. He is a sinner. He should be condemned. And right before he hits the anvil, somebody in the crowd stands up. Says, wait, stop. I approached the bench. 
Judge says, go ahead. And she knows. My name is Jesus of Nazareth. And I know this I love this man. And um, if it pleases the court, crucify me instead of him. And God says, Mike Velasquez, I hereby call you forgiven. The court has shown you grace and mercy. You're free to go. And um, I have this book. My girlfriend gave it to me. It's a good book. It's about uh, strongholds in the mind and how Satan can, you know, trap you in your in your head and make you, you know, think these lies and believe these lies. But um, it says um, to bring down strongholds. It takes time to go up. As a child of God, you have the access to everything that belongs to your heavenly Father. So look up, go up, and access the power of God that access the power of God has that you need to remove the lies and replace them with the truth. Ask him to show you the lies you have believed for too long. Take him, tell him what your mind tell him you want your mind to be filled with the truth instead of the devil's falsehoods and then thank you so uh, with that uh, we're going to tr- transition into communion so we're going to bow our heads oh actually I have a scripture can't have communion without a scripture so it's uh, it's Romans 5 6 7 and 8 it says you see just at the right time. When you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely anyone will die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for your love for us, God. Uh, you demonstrated your love by sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross for us, for our sins, God. I will not forget what you saved me from, the life of drugs and alcohol. And how you freed me from that, God. And as I take this bread and this body, I mean this bread and the juice that represents your blood and your body, Lord, I'll remember what you did for me on that day on the cross. In your son's name, Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.